Uh, I'd invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn with me uh, once again uh, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter, chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. You can certainly follow along uh, with the insert found in your bulletin, though we will be looking at a couple different other a couple other different passages, and so I'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. We have some Bibles on the back table if you don't have one or if you forgot yours today. For those of you who are visiting this morning, uh, or maybe you just haven't been here in a while, we have been working our way uh, chapter by chapter uh, through this ancient book of history and prophecy, and it's a book that began with vivid uh, stories. Many of us remember the stories from our childhood days, uh, the stories uh, of God's people in the land of exile, in the land of Babylon, the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, the handwriting on the wall. And then a few weeks ago, there was a shift from stories to dreams, to visions, to crazy apocalyptic scenes that I have told you now more than once uh, are designed to bring comfort and to give exhortation to God's people, both the Israelites of Daniel's day and the church of Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, as you sit here this morning. Well, today we shift slightly once again because we're not confronted here, first of all, with uh, a confounding vision like we have the last couple weeks, but we're confronted, first of all, with a profound prayer. Daniel, the main character, or one of the main characters, I've said that the main character of this book is God himself, but Daniel, the secondary character of his own book, is now in his 80s. He is a seasoned man of God who has faithfully served the empires of this world for nearly his entire life. Remember, carted off from his homeland as a young man, now in his 80s, that whole time serving in the governmental sphere of Babylon. And as we've already seen in the story of Daniel, Daniel is also a man of profound prayer, a man who prayed with his window open for all to see unashamedly with conviction and with faithfulness. But that's not the only thing we're going to see from this chapter. We're going to see Daniel, a man of prayer, yes, but more importantly, we're going to see of Daniel's God. And the faithfulness of that God to Daniel and to all his people in hearing and answering those who cry out to him. And so I want to look for a few moments at this portion of God's word. Let's read it together. First of all, let me read it to you. If you are able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read the entirety of the chapter. Uh, again, we've, uh, we've gone chapter by chapter and we'll continue with that scheme this morning, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 27. Listen as I read. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, 
perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keeps His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame." As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what, we, what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of, our, of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by Your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself, as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. 
While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to a sacrifice and offering. And on the, wings, on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give him glory. Glory. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well, once again, as we work our way through this chapter of the book of Daniel, I'd like to do so uh, by meditating upon two central truths that I think we can learn much from in this chapter. And the first one is this. We are a people who need to be restored. We are a people who need to be restored. Generally, generally speaking, I don't like Hallmark cards. There's nothing particular about Hallmark, the, that brand, really, in general, I don't like any card that I give that has writing in it when you open it up. I'm always looking for that blank card inside. And maybe it's just because I, Nate Hitchcock, live in a world of, of words and of, of written words. That's what I do. I, I read a lot of words. I 
think about a lot of words, I write a lot of words, I speak a lot of words. But if I'm buying a birthday card or especially a Valentine's Day card for my wife, Valentine's Day is around the corner, men, just so you know, I want it to be blank. And I want it to be blank because I want it to be my words. I want it to be my heart. And yet I'll confess, and I'm not knocking Hallmark or Dayspring or cards that aren't blank, because I'll confess that sometimes I just don't have the right words. I need help. And sometimes I open up some of these cards and I say, yes, that is my heart. That will give voice to my feelings. One of the reasons why I love the book of Psalms, because so many of the psalmists give voice to my heart, and I hope they give voice to your hearts as well. Well, as we come to this prayer in Daniel chapter 9, we're kind of going to divide this into two sections, the first being the prayer, verses 1 through 19. As we come to Daniel's prayer, one of the things I want us to gain, one of the reasons why I think it's important that it's recorded here, is because it gives us guidance. It gives us help in prayer. It gives us words to say, and I want us to learn from Daniel, not just what to pray for, but how to go about it. And I want us to learn from Daniel, not just how to frame your thoughts in prayer before the Lord, but how to use the very words and phrases of God when you pray. And even before we get to the prayer, I want you to see very clearly what it is that led Daniel to prayer. It was God's Word. It was his own reading of God's Word that prompted the prayer. Jumping back into the history of this passage, it is the, the first year in the reign of the Medo-Persian Empire. Babylon has been thrown down, Belshazzar has been killed, and a shift in power has taken place. And so Daniel is reading God's Word. Of course, he didn't have God's Word as you have God's Word in his lap, but he had much of the Torah. He had much of the prophetical writings. He had the book of Jeremiah, and he is reading the prophecy of Jeremiah that was written in about the time that he and his friends were carted off to Babylon. So many years ago it was written, and he's reading it and thinking about it. I don't know exactly where he was in the scroll of Jeremiah, but we can guess. If you have your Bibles, turn back with me a few books before Daniel, before Ezekiel, before Lamentations. You come to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 25. Perhaps Daniel's sitting by his window, the window that we came to know as he prayed, and he's reading the scroll of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 25. Maybe he's reading verses 8 through 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send 
For all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish them, excuse me, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And Daniel's thinking about his life. <laughs> yeah, that's, my, that's been my life. And then he comes to verse 12, then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book which Jeremiah prophesied against the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and to the work of their hands." Daniel perhaps remembers that the reason, and is reminded here in his reading of Jeremiah, that the reason that God's people are even in Babylon was because of their rebellion, because of their unfaithfulness to the covenant. And we'll talk a minute about what that means. What is a, a covenant? Now here Daniel sits. There's been an overthrow. That, the, the, the words of these, this passage have come true. It hasn't exactly been 70 years, but things are happening. Babylon has fallen, and Daniel is wondering, okay, so what, what is around the corner? And perhaps he was flipping to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with your whole heart, I will be found by you, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where, you have been, where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Aha, Daniel says, could this be it? You see, this is why Daniel is praying this prayer here. This is why Daniel is, is ratcheting up the intensity before God. He smells the restoration, the needed restoration of his people, of God's covenant people. And so he does exactly what Jeremiah prophesied needed to be done. The Lord needed to be called upon to restore the fortunes of his people after 70 years to return them to the land that was theirs. And so Daniel prays this prayer, a prayer that is seeped in covenant. Now what is a covenant? I know many of you didn't grow up in Presbyterian and Reformed churches. I always like to say the children's catechism answer to what is a covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is a relationship that God sets up with us and guarantees by His Word. 
It's the simplest way to understand it. Of course, we could unpack that over many, many, many weeks. Long ago, God set His affection on a people. He declared to this people, to their forefathers, that He was their God, that they were to be His people, that they were to walk before Him all their days. And here we have in Daniel's prayer, in Daniel chapter 9, this prayer that is steeped in covenant. He speaks of a covenant-keeping God. He speaks of covenant violations. Covenant curses that have come upon God's people because they didn't, they didn't hold their end of the bargain. They weren't faithful. Speaks of the covenant name of the Lord. In your English translations, that's recognizable by all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps. The covenantal name, Yahweh. And this is so important for understanding this prayer and also for understanding the verses that come after the prayer, which we'll get to in just a moment. But before we go there, I want to briefly talk about, talk about this prayer and the three aspects that I think instruct us, they remind us, they're not earth-shattering, they're not groundbreaking. In fact, they in many ways mirror what the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. The prayer that we prayed together at the beginning of the service the Lord's Prayer. First, notice how Daniel begins his prayer. It's brief, but he begins it with adoration. Daniel cries out to his God with this brief but powerful statement of the Lord's character, of the Lord's work. He worships, he adores, he lays the foundation for all that he is going to say. You are worthy, you are the creator, we are the creatures, we know who you are, we know who we are, before you. Yahweh is the great and awesome God who keeps covenant, he says. He is the one who led them out of Egypt. He is the righteous one. And isn't that the way the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. And then Daniel moves into the heart of the prayer, this, this confession. Boy, Daniel knows how to confess. Before any future blessing can come about, as he read in the book of Jeremiah, as he himself knows his standing before a holy God, a faithful God, a God of steadfast love, this foundation of humility before God must be laid. And, he, and Daniel doesn't sugarcoat things. Listen to these words. Verse 5 we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, we have rebelled, we have turned aside. Verse 6, we have not listened to you. Verse 7, we are filled with shame, we are filled with treachery. Verse, excuse me, that's verse 7. Verse 11, we have transgressed. Now remember, these are not things that Daniel has done personally. He's going back to the, his fathers, he's going back to his ancestors, he's going back to those who had rebelled who had been judged for their rebellion and, and sent to exile. And yet he's identifying with his people. He's lifting them up before the Lord with this extensive language that, that stretches out and enlarges the gravity of their actions before a holy God. And the Lord Jesus 
taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Many times in Presbyterian circles and Reformed circles, we are criticized by some for being Debbie Downers. We, we talk about sin too much. All you guys want to do is beat yourselves up. No, we don't want to beat ourselves up. We want to be realistic about our need for restoration. We want to come every Lord's Day and repent of our sin and live lives of repentance, recognizing the holy standard that God has set, recognizing the exaltedness of our God. And that makes grace all the sweeter, that a God such as that would love us. And then finally, petition. Make your face shine upon us, Daniel says. Pay attention and act. And I love what Daniel does here. Daniel appeals. He doesn't just pray, Lord, please make these things come about. But no, he, he almost in a sense demands these things from God. He claims the promises of God. He, he appeals to God's character. Merciful God, do these things. This is who you are. Be who you are. And be merciful to your people. He appeals to God's glory. Restore your reputation. If you look at verses 16 through 19, he says, this is your city, speaking of Jerusalem. This is your holy hill, speaking of Zion. These are your people. This is your sanctuary, speaking of the temple. This is your name. If these people and if your holy city and if your, if your sanctuary continue to be desolate, continue to be ruined, how will the nations know who you are? And so Daniel appeals. He appeals to who God has revealed himself to be, appeals to God's glory, appeals to God's reputation, and of course he appeals to the covenant. I've said this before as a parent, how many times... Have you heard this phrase? I don't like to hear this phrase, but I hear it. But dad, you promised. But dad, you promised. To which I say, yes, I'm sorry. I'm not like God. <laughs> when God promises, he never breaks a promise. Dads, dads are weak. Dads are fallible. So, so what about us and this whole prayer? Well, one of, the, one of the things I wanted to say, and the reason I said the truth as I said it, was not that Israel is in need of, re of restoration, but that we are in need of restoration. This is not just a, an ancient prayer for an ancient people. This is this is given to us, God's people, by His Spirit. And we sit here this morning as God's covenant people, not made up of one ethnicity, not made up of one national identity, but made up of a people united by the Lord Jesus and by His Spirit. And we sit here this morning and we too are in an exile, a different kind of exile. We are faithfully serving the empires of this world knowing that we're doing it not for man but for God. But we are longing, as we talked about last week, we are longing for things to be made right. We too weep on the shores of Babylon. 
as Psalm 137 says. And our brokenness is not a result of of national sin, though there is plenty of national sin, but it goes back to the beginning of us as a people, the beginning of us as humanity. And so when we, God's people, born into sin, broken, when we read the promised future of Micah 4, where it speaks of swords being made into plowshares, spears being put into pruning hooks, nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall there be war anymore, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. We say, yes, that is what we want. That is what we need. And so we pray for restoration. We need restoration. And we learn from God's servant, Daniel, to pray this way. Only the church can pray this way. Only God's covenant people can pray the way Daniel prays. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Give us this day our daily bread. So Daniel prays earnestly, passionately, powerfully. And what comes next? Well, before we get to what comes next, there's this little interlude, verses 20 through 23 there in your Bibles. Even before Daniel receives his answer, between the prayer and this answer, there is this visitor. And I just want us to notice two brief things about these verses, this little interlude. First of all, Notice God's attentiveness. Before Daniel has even finished the prayer, a messenger from God swiftly comes with a word from the throne of heaven. God hears our prayers. And you might not have ever had a swift messenger come in the middle of your cry to the Lord. Believe me, God is attentive. And then, I love the tenderness with which God addresses Daniel, a tenderness that maybe primes him, preps him for the news that he's going to receive, for the answer that Gabriel is about to give. You are greatly loved. Literally, you are precious. And so, I have heard your prayer. I am quickly responding, and here... My servant is the answer to your prayer. And that's the second truth for us this morning. Not only do we need restoration, but restoration is coming through Jesus Christ. Restoration is coming through Christ Jesus. Some of you may know this about me, but I'm a, I'm a gift giver. I like to give gifts. I like to receive gifts, too. But I like to give gifts, and I admit that sometimes when I give gifts, I overdo it a bit. And um, it's a good thing my wife is sick. Well, it's not a good thing that she's sick. It's a good thing she's not here this morning uh, to smirk at these comments. But my wife one time expressed to me that she loved this 
dishware called fiestaware. It's that brightly colored, those brightly colored dishes and all kinds of, and so she says, you know, I would like to, I'd like to gradually collect that fiestaware. I think that's it's happy stuff, makes me happy. And, and so what did I do? I went and bought every color of fiestaware for no occasion whatsoever that I could find at the store, and I brought it home in one fell swoop. My wife did the same with those Starbucks mugs that, uh, that have the, the cities on them, and she said that she, um, over time, I'd love to collect these mugs and, and maybe have a mug from every place that we've ever lived. I was on eBay that night, and I bought every mug of every place we've ever lived. New Jersey, Georgia, San Diego, and then, and then I even went over the top. I bought some places that we've been, like Disneyland and, and other places. Anyway, I hope that that, though, though it reflects maybe some poor stewardship at times, I hope that that reflects the heart of my Father my heavenly Father. I think it does. And I think we see it here. Because the answer that Daniel gets is, Daniel, you're getting so much more than you asked for. You didn't ask for this, but here it's coming. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy for Daniel to digest, but restoration is coming It's coming in Christ Jesus. Well, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, is one of the most widely misunderstood and confusing passages in the Scriptures. So yeah, this has been a fun week for me, trying to figure out what to do with Daniel 9, 24 through 27. It's so widely misunderstood, I'm not saying that I have it all figured out. It's so widely misunderstood because there are so many, just when I thought I had something figured out, I read the next guy, and he contradicted that guy. And I like that guy. Nobody can really decide exactly what Daniel is saying. First, there's the numbers, 70, 70 weeks or As your ESV Bibles have a little footnote there, it's actually literally more more appropriately seven seven, seventy sevens, not seventy weeks. Sixty-two weeks with a week added on. And then there are these statements in these verses that don't they just don't at first seem to be clear. The finishing of transgression, an end to sin, an anointed one cut off. Who is that? A desolation decreed. What is that? And so as we wade into this, I want to say a couple things First, firstly. Number one, this is not a passage where I can be dogmatic. I don't think anybody can be entirely dogmatic about Daniel chapter 9. But it is one where I have an opinion based upon my reading, based upon my study. I don't understand it all. But I think there is enough that can be understood where we don't have to be perpetually confused and just skip over this when we come to this passage in our reading. And I think that's 
That should be said for many of our convictions. Certainly, it's not some convictions, but I think many of our convictions, as Bob reminded us this morning in Discipleship Hour, our convictions need to be held with humility. And the convictions of others need to be held in love and in care and in tenderness. Many Jesus-loving, Bible-treasuring Christians want to say that verses 24 through 27 are still to come, that they are in Daniel's future, but they are also in our future. I'm going to argue that that's not the case. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 Yes, they are in Daniel's future, but they are in our past. They are in our past. And the reason for these differences is is big. It has to do with how we understand biblical prophecy, how we understand concepts like the covenant and how the covenant works its way through Scripture, things we can't go into the things I'd be glad to dialogue with you about, glad to put resources in your hands. Secondly, we can't possibly explain it and cover it all. But we can talk about what I think is the main point, that Daniel is saying that restoration is, Daniel's being told that restoration is coming through Jesus Christ. So what does it mean? Well, Daniel's praying. He's praying in light of Jeremiah. He's praying recalling these 70 years that were promised before God was going to restore his people to the land. And the Lord, I think, essentially says to him, Daniel, stop counting. Stop getting so wound up with the math. You need to think bigger. And it's very similar to what Daniel was shown in the last vision where Daniel was longing for the end of all things, and then suddenly he learned that, nope, after this beast will be another beast. After that beast will be another beast. And the beastly ways of the world are going to go far into the future. And so when we come to the 70 weeks or 70 sevens of verse 24, that's a big number. If we do the math, 70 times 7, that's about 490 years. Well, that's for sure past Daniel's lifetime. That's for sure past the lifetime of those who are around Daniel. So what's coming at the end of that time period? Those 77s, 490 years. Well, it depends on when you start the clock. But if the clock is started, around the time of the decree of Cyrus for God's people to return to the land of promise, to the holy city, to begin rebuilding Jerusalem, if you start the clock then and you fast forward 490 years, you come to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so much like last week, Daniel's vision is being extended much further than he expects. Yes, God will keep his promise 
to Jeremiah. There, there's an immediate fulfillment that's going to happen. God will keep his promise to Jeremiah. Israel, Israel will return to Jerusalem. They will begin to rebuild the city, but, but that's not the end. That's the already, but that's not the not yet. There's more to come. There's more fullness to come. The prize is further out than Daniel can see, but one that we see in full view as we look back. Restoration has come in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, look at your Bibles there with me. Jesus has accomplished everything of verse 24. Let me just talk about some of the phrases. Finish the transgression. I want you to remember the covenant context of the prayer that Daniel prayed, that this whole chapter is in. That's how we need to view these phrases, through those lenses. The rebellion of God's people, their rejection of God's ways is what has put them in exile. It was sin. It was transgression. It was them turning their backs upon God. But greater rejection is coming. A final transgression for God's people is coming. The transgression beyond all transgressions. The transgression that's going to break the camel's back. They're going to crucify their Messiah. God's Son, who He sends for them, they're going to put Him on a cross. And the the transgression is finished. Jesus laments, we don't have time to go there, but Jesus laments and He declares the doom of Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37, and the beginning verses of chapter 24 of Matthew. You see, these are the desolations that are decreed in verse 26. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem was destroyed once and for all finally. And the followers of of Jesus were scattered to the Gentiles. And what did that say in the covenant context of God and His people? Israel had finished the transgression. They had rejected their own Messiah. And so when God destroys or allows His holy city to be destroyed, that is the definitive divorce of God and His people. No longer, no longer Jew, but now Jew and Gentile. Those who look in faith to the true Messiah, Jesus. And so desolations are coming, indeed. And this anointed one, verse 25 in Greek, the Hebrew word there is Christ. Jesus, this anointed one, will put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring everlasting righteousness. Jesus replaces the temple with Himself. He does away with the sacrifices of the temple and makes Himself the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. And then in verse 27, He makes a strong covenant, a new covenant. The Hebrew word there used is not a covenant that is brand new, that is being established for the first time. It's a covenant that is being confirmed because it already exists as God through the covenant of grace extends His grace beyond Jew 
but to Jew and Gentile, to all those who look in faith to the Lord Jesus. Romans 15, 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. It's why when we come to this table, we say this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For Daniel, restoration is coming in the person of Jesus. You're getting so much more than you asked for, Daniel. For us here today, restoration has come in the person of Jesus. Boy, there's much more that could be said. I hope I didn't get you lost in the weeds of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. As we wrap up, hear this. The gospel in Daniel reminds us once again that in Jesus, we have the restoration we need. We have the restoration that has been promised, and we long for that full restoration that is still to come. Why? Why? Because you, you are greatly loved. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your servant, Daniel. This is a hard passage. It's a confusing passage. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take that which is profitable, that which is true, plant it deep in the hearts of your people, and that which is not, let it blow like chaff in the wind to be forgotten. But Father, may we go from this place in joy, that a people in need of restoration have been restored in Christ Jesus, and that this is a story that is written in history. This is is a story that spans hundreds of years. Father, we marvel at Your Word. We marvel at this good news. May it change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.